0: This is the Erasing Shame podcast, season three. Honest talk for healthy living, growing, and thriving. Welcome to another episode of Erasing Shame. My name is DJ Chuang, and on this episode, on this conversation, I'm joined with Irene Cho. And she has served 25 years in youth ministry, so she works with a lot of young people. And Irene speaks all over the country at major conferences and retreats author's curricula, which is the plural of curriculum, articles, and currently co-authoring a book with Daniel White Hodge. Irene, thank you so much for making time to chat about Shame and Erasing It.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: And what should our audience know about you before we dive in?
1: Um, I I have a very long complicated story (laughs) So, usually I have a plethora of things to talk about, um, and I love, my biggest passion in life is to share about my life and share about my mistakes, most of all, so um, that leaders who work with young people, who are predominantly the folks I work with now, um, can save time and energy And for people to save time and energy in their life journey, Um, it's a motto that I reflect from my mom, that I emulate from her, which she used to say to me all the time, if I could learn at 30 what she had to learn at 40, and if I could learn at 40 what she had to learn at 50 then that's 10 years that I have saved that she could give me wisdom. And that is also my life mission. How can I help young people and leaders who work with young people live a better life, a more thriving life because they have the opportunity to learn from my mistakes, my Mm -hmm. (laughs) as we have it.
0: Well, you've come to the right place. Thank you so much for sharing your life experience because, uh, in my times of working and connecting with young people they're looking for role models and examples to help them through life especially as asian americans because we are in such a complicated context of life so what comes to your mind when you hear the word shame
1: shame is a hefty word you know i think i am I sometimes instinctively am reductionistic. Um, and so we, we tend to box it in into this identity, um, you know, self-loathing, hating of oneself, devaluing the worth that you are. Um, and I think shame is a word as you begin to unpack it, the complexities of what it entails gets, Greater and greater the more you unpack it. So it's such a difficult word, this tiny five-letter word, um, because you're talking about your personality the context of which you've grown in, the birth order you've grown in, the gender you've grown in, the sexual orientation that you've grown in, the ethnicity you've grown in, the parents who you have, the extended family who you have, the faith of what you have, the geographical location. Um, I mean, we could unpack all of the heritage that has has brought someone to this point in which they have come to this realization that I am full of shame of who I am, or I am full of shame of my family, or I am full of shame of my mistakes, you know? Um, And so like unraveling that, I think, once you get to the enlightened point of realization that there is shame existing in your psyche and your personality and your makeup, um, the unraveling that then is a lifetime process right, of growing from that. And I, I think that it's an ever, from that point, that's when the adventure, I think, begins. The adventure of growth, of learning, learning to love oneself, learning the origins and the dynamics of why that happens and why it exists in yourself, um, how to forgive yourself, how to forgive others, how to love yourself, um, and find, and most importantly for me, obviously, find value because of the way that I made is wonderful and beautiful, even as I continue to try to improve it and mold it um, and fulfill it mm. and enhance it. You know, so
0: so you've found a path of healing.
1: I think so. I hope so. Um, you know, you and I were talking off off recording. I am also in the camp of the vital is the vital the vitality and importance of expression. And vomiting it out Um, and I I think that many folks this is why therapy is so important because you need space the moment repression happens the moment denial happens um, the the tiny mustard seed to which could have been more easily dealt with continues to expand as life goes on Um, and I I My dad, who just recently passed away, embodied this. Like, he could never escape it until the last three weeks of his life. Um, The demons finally left him, but he was ever running away from the shame that he had of who he was. It led to his alcoholism. It led to his drug abuse. it led to so many problems that he had because he could not love himself and he could not find self value and worth. He couldn't accept both the weaknesses of who he was and say, I'm gonna take those weaknesses and know that they are also my strength. But instead he continually thought what, you know, he devalued himself. He thought he was terrible. He, he was ashamed of his, in his mind, his lack of contribution to the world. And yet his desire to contribute to the world was so strong and he could not figure out how to integrate those two together. And so as a daughter, I have so much anger and bitterness and resentment and pain and trauma and hurt for the way that he was a father to me. Yet as a human being and as an adult, I have so much sadness and empathy and compassion and, you know, sympathy for him of, I wish he had had a community that could come around him and not just his family, because we have issues. Me directly as a daughter, I tried to provide love to him, but there's something to be said for a greater community that can help the healing process. And he never had that because the community around him were his other friends who, indulged in his addictions um so yeah so that saddens me and I think my whole life growing up watching a man embody and live out and see the consequences of a man who had continually been unable to shake the shame and heal the shame within him um is why this is such a passionate subject matter for me, for young people. And as as I preach the gospel, as I teach, the way that I write, the way that I counsel, um, is so much about how do we be honest with our self-awareness of where we need to grow, yet not twist it and poison it and makes it toxic so that we are then ashamed and hiding and not being able to go to the naked place and be fig leafless, right? Um, so ever the, ever the getting it out, like you said, you know, no repression, no denial, no running away, no hiding, because the more we embrace the mistakes that we are, that we have, that we've made, and the weaknesses that we have, the more actually stronger we get right and the more love we have for ourselves so it's so anti-intuitive and yet it's the greatest truth that we could ever know
0: wow Um, and this is why we're in season three of erasing shame as we've discovered on our conversation weekly conversation about erasing shame we've discovered just how big of a topic it is and (laughs) how hard it is to unravel and because shame festers in silence and repression, we found a way to bring light to that darkness and to begin talking about it because the opposite of silence is conversation, healthy conversation. And so we could spend hours and we're spending seasons talking about this and throwing out lifelines for people. Well, let's let's um, help our young adults here, uh, whether they're in, high school or college or young adult it seems that life is getting more and more stressful Mm -hmm. for all kinds of different reasons Uh, let's let's walk through a couple of these concepts for someone who is feeling so badly about themselves Mm -hmm. and they've repressed so much of their pain Mm -hmm. and for some they will act out uh, Mm -hmm. through drugs alcohol illicit relationships whatever it is that would bring some relief to their pain but it doesn't really heal them for others they might go towards performance and kind of Mm -hmm. lose themselves in distractions Mm -hmm. and other things like that how do they find a safe place to begin getting out of that darkness
1: i mean i wish i could say the church unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately i think that you the greatest thing would be this is why therapy again is so important if finding a good therapist to even because it's paid, their job is to provide that safe space for you um and hopefully you'll be connected to a therapist whom your personality, the way that you think, the way that you process is um cohesive with yours you know or with them and you know, you have a good relationship, working relationship, and that. I, ironically, I myself actually have not done much therapy, um, which my friend who is a therapist has has said I'm such an anomaly and weird. I do think, like, I have been fortunate to have a mom who was very skilled in asking the right questions. Um, who from a young age was very balanced in her honesty, both about her learning process and not being afraid of a learning process. So I think, okay, twofold. Number one, I think there has to be a coming to terms within yourself that you are willing to be vulnerable. I think that's the first step. That's the hardest step because we don't want to be vulnerable um you know I'm very introverted I'm very protective I people think I'm very vulnerable with people but I'm like no it's because I've processed that and I'm I'm sure I've prepared the display of my pains for you all (laughs) that's not the same as vulnerability um and I have to continually and it's daily it's a daily work of saying to myself, vulnerability is my Jedi, you know, lightsaber. It's my sword. It's my, it's my bow and arrow. It's my secret weapon to the bondage of shame within me. Like my willingness to say, I am not okay. I am not perfect. I have junk that I have to deal with. That willingness, and not in a apathetic tough guy, tough gal kind of way, but in a in a very real, deep, deep down in the secret dark space. I have things that I have to work on. Way. And there I think has to be an emotional, psychological spiritual coming together space for that for within yourself and then I think because if you don't have that if you go out to community then first then the problem is a lot of times I've seen this when I've counseled people their search then simply becomes affirm me make me feel good about myself which doesn't alleviate the problem of shame it just enhances it, it just becomes another addiction, so you see people going from friendship to friendship accountability partner accountability partners, relationship to relationship because it's it's not act you haven't gotten into the space of the naked place the, the vulnerability is what I call the naked place um, so once you come to terms like deep down and you're you're emotionally looking at the mirror of yourself and like okay i've got I've got stuff to work on and not in a self deprecating, I'm a horrible person, but just again, a very real, honest, whole picture of yourself. Here's what I'm good at. Here's what I need work at. Here's what's neutral. Like there is this energy, a chi space of like honesty of yourself that I think is a whole picture, not just the self deprecating picture and not just the prideful picture, but the whole picture. And then from there, how do we find humans in our life because we have animals that love us and give us affirmation and TV shows and movies that make us feel good and books that, that affirm us and give us insight. But the human element of which, how do we have someone who is wise, who can be our mentor, who can be our accountability partner, our friend, um, that can journey with us in that space, um, I think is one of the most essential key pieces, and it doesn't have to be a lot of people, maybe it's only one person, maybe it's three people, um, maybe it is a small group community, maybe it's a hiking community that you're a part of. You know, I know some Asians are outdoorsy now, like it could be anything, right? Um, and I think the the exercise of that group or that person and that partner who's in your life, where there could be real dialogue of processing, you know, and an exposure of questions that we wanna ask ourselves of why am I like this? What's my history? When did this start? What's my trigger point? What are my triggers? Why am I defensive? Um, What were my parents like? What are my siblings like? How do I interact with different various people? Um, And I think that the interpersonal questions that that begins to help the process of really understanding. And I know that's hard for some different various personality, you know, folks. Like I'm an INFJ, hardcore F. Um, So the feeling element is really great. Like, I don't have a problem with that, but I know my husband's a T. Um, and he's very analytical in his process of what is my history? Why did this come from? Um, he has a lot of empathy, but he's very scientific about his analysis and figuring out. So that's not, it's not to say if you're a T or you're more of an analytical thinker that you can't get into the emotiveness of your human story right and that's i think that's what we're talking about is what is your human story that created this self-loathing within you this denial within you you know i i I've, I've i've had friends and ex, exes who <laughs> I've been with who, you know, I'll ask them who are Asian American who have asked them questions of like, well, what are your parents dynamics? You know, like, how does your dad talk to your mom? And how does your mom, how do they talk to each other? And I'll begin like asking family dynamic questions. And I'll, I've had so many Asian Americans say to me, I don't know. I've never, I've never thought about it. Like, I just know they hate each other. And they've never gone through the exercise of trying to figure out like, well, why, you know? And so even with young students who I would, I love being the bridge builder of like, they have marital problems, their parents are having marital problems and humanizing the story and saying, well, how did your parents meet? What were the dynamics? Like one of my friends, you know, her mom was very wealthy and her dad was gonna be an engineer and then he had health issues. And then she had to become the breadwinner of the family, and she had to get a job, and she had to do all these things. And we had to unpack then the dynamics of a patriarchal culture in you know our our Asian Americanness, our Koreanness, and what emotionally that would have her mom go through, and then emotionally what it would have his dad, her dad, go through, like his identity crisis that he can't be the provider anymore, and the the shame of that. And we started to unpack those questions. And she was like, you, you're telling, you're making me look at my parents in this whole other way that is not just, my parents are screwed up and I hate them, the end. Like, I'm gonna run away now and I'm gonna go start my own life. Um, so I think it's the, the twofold of like, how do I decide, how can I, how can I get to the point of like, I, I want to get into the space of loving myself. You know, I I want to be vulnerable. I want to expose these things. And then it's how do I find a community where I can safely process and ask these interpersonal questions about who I am, why I'm like this, why my family is like this, what caused this, what led to this, and where are we going? So.
0: Wow, this is heavy stuff, but uh, (laughs) it does shed light and gives uh, our young people a concrete first step and i find that most people are concrete and when we talk about these psychological Especially us Asian categories Americans. uh asians in a particular way but yeah. i find most people um as not as well as non-asians to be uh, very concrete because i'm my ideas person so i kind of always wind up on the end of being misunderstood <laughs> and, getting, <laughs> and getting blank stares and um so when we talk about uh psychological therapeutic uh, categories they they tend to be very conceptual and uh, for Asian Americans that don't have any exposure to psychology and Asian cultures that don't value psychology. It's just a foreign language and it's even sometimes taboo and it it was very helpful to for uh, me to hear that you were able to find a path of healing without going through the traditional of professional counseling. And I think that gives our listeners and viewers hope that if you can't afford uh, counseling, if there's too much stigma in getting to it, it's uh, inaccessible for whatever reason that there are other ways too. Yes. And perhaps it's easier to find one person than to find a whole community. Yes. And I know for my own journey, uh, I grew up in a very traditional Chinese family And I was trained through my high school and my young adult life to be an engineer. So I was very left-brained in thinking. But yeah, I had so many issues that I've had to work through on the emotional half as well. And my path towards healing was to begin putting words to those feelings that I had no life experience in doing. Yes. And uh, the first step that I found where I was exposed to other people, other people being vulnerable then it gave me the inspiration and permission for me to be vulnerable too. Mm-hmm. was Alcoholics Anonymous.
1: Ah yes yes.
0: And that was a safe community Well, people who exemplified being safe mm-hmm. with their uh, dirty laundry to use mm-hmm. an Asian American metaphor that you can begin to discover well what does it even mean to be vulnerable? yes and then you can begin to start that journey for yourself yes
1: so good i also find my friend and i she she did liter. she was an undergrad um lit major and we have talked about the vital importance of fictional reading um you know we do so much reading now of Non-fictional books and biographies, which are very important. Um, I'm, I'm not discounting them at all But it's very factual based. Um, it's very results oriented to a certain degree And that's great again, you know, we need leadership books. We need, you know, all these different books. Um, but there's something about storytelling that helps start the vulnerability process, right? Um, and so I have done so many challenges where within even the church context, how can we read more books? And for those who are more engineer based, like sci-fi books are phenomenal. And, um, you know, how can in, even gaming, you know, there's so much more storytelling that happens now. I know that we continually try to put a stigma on the gaming world, but um, it's here to stay in its growing industry and they are they are becoming so creative you know my my husband played uncharted four and he he was blown away he said he was in tears by the end of it his brother's story um because it's this you spend like six hours or i forget how many, it was x amount of crazy hours journeying with this guy who's looking for his brother and you know there you you unpack the whole thing um and it's so moving so how can we continually you know expand our world and to not just be very results oriented or bottom line how do we fix this problem like we can't fix the problem without the human story without the story that connects all of us all of our stories together like We want to get better, but I can't get better without understanding my dad's story, without understanding the pain of his life. I can't get better without understanding my mom's story and the pain of her life and the pain of my grandparents' story and the journey that they had in war toward Korea. Um, Like that is all trauma that is not disconnected from me. You know, there are things that are passed down onto me that make up who I am. And without knowing that, can I? improve obviously i can there's an element that's there but when i do know those stories when i know the stories of the people i connect with the path to healing is first of all i believe so much more profound and so much deeper in its transformation if i only try to figure out okay i have A temper and I need to not have a temper so what are some methodologies to like help me control and temper my temper you know um, that's fine and those are fine resolutions for me to have but really it comes down to then internally okay what is my frustration what is going on within my story and how have I habitually watched my parents behave in a certain way that influences um my characteristic of having a temper. And you know, like it's these stories behind it that's like, okay, I only have a temper when I'm really stressed out and I'm procrastinating. And I'm procrastinating because I'm avoiding, not because I'm lazy and I'm avoiding because I'm a perfectionist, because my perfectionism comes from this ideology that I have to be a good girl because my parents <laughs> were divorced and I needed to make sure the family was like all like I wasn't causing problems more problems in the chaos of my parental conflict like it's just all it's not just about me like screaming at this thing that I just dropped and like being frustrated um and so we can deal with that part of my personality but it's just this surface versus this whole iceberg that's below it that's actually the issue um and I think that that's what fiction does for us as we read, we read the complicated stories of how people get to a certain space or how they're dealing with the problems. Um, And so I, I always say, I feel like our faith development is is so gets so much deeper and so much more connected to God and the universe and people when we have more fictional writing in our in our mindset and in our on our bookshelves and in, you know, the
0: way that we communicate with one another. That's That's my (laughs) soapbox. No, that's really good because fiction books are accessible, public library, (laughs) you can get to them. So one of the things uh, we're trying to do here at Erasing Shame is because we live and we're surrounded by achievement-oriented culture, and that's what gets celebrated, uh, we want to create space to serve the 99%. The the rest of us that are normal and uh, (laughs) that need a little (laughs) more help than the achievement oriented people. And uh, I think, as you were describing, being vulnerable, we can only see so much in front of us. Mm -hmm. And as you were describing the family history and the things that are blind spots, we we need a lot of help discovering that. And in particular, with family history, both Asian and non Asian, uh, particularly the. dysfunctional painful ones it's hard to uncover that story Mm -hmm. what have you found helpful in doing that with others and maybe even doing that for yourself
1: that's a great question um i this is where again i think reading is so good listening watching stories um you know helping i remember heli lee's book um still life with rice was the first time i i dawned on me the trauma of our, the immigration story of our parents. Um, I was like, oh, this is why Korean people are like <laughs> like this.
0: And what what so do I you mean? What do you mean?
1: Well, like she journeys her grandmother's story, which was pre-Korean war, uh, right? Pre, Pre-Japanese occupation. So <clears throat> she talks about that element and then the Japanese came and then the loss of identity, you know, and Japanese trying to take control. And then the Korean War, and then she loses her family members because of the, you know, they escaped. She couldn't, they couldn't escape, she escaped. Her traveling to the States. Like, I mean, she, she chronicles this like almost a hundred year journey that of her grandma. Her grandma was like 96 years old or something like that. Um, And for me, like, as that was unpacking, I was realizing from that storytelling, the way that Korean first-geners were operating in our church like okay this is an example um we i i served at a very big la- very large one of the largest immigrant churches in Koreatown, town um and we would weekly get our this is i'm going to age myself okay we had transparency machines this is before we had like projectors and all these things but let's say it was a projector but a transparency machine for our songs for our worship time it would get stolen every week. Okay. So we fundraise money and we bought our own and it would get stolen by the adults. Cause they like didn't have theirs or they broke or whatever. So we, we raised money with our students. Um, and this is when I was doing junior high ministry and we bought a portable one that we could unpack and then we could take it on retreats. Right. We were like, okay, two in one shot. And I had a cabinet in our room that was shared obviously by a whole bunch of people, not just our, it wasn't our junior high room because it's an immigrant church and it's always multi-used. We didn't have our own space. We didn't have white suburban junior high space. Um, And so we had a cabinet though, and I had the key. And so we would lock the transparency machine in the cabinet and I told my junior high students, if an adult asks you if we have a transparency machine, you are going to have to lie the way Rebecca lied to save. The- <laughs> like, You're going to have to lie. And they're like, but Pastor Irene, like lying is wrong. I was like, no, slander is wrong. libel is wrong. That's what the, the commandment says. You shouldn't let fa- bear false witness. This is a livelihood for us. <laughs> and because they would steal, we had our college equipment. They cut the lock and took our equipment because their amp wasn't working. And we came to Friday night service and our cabinet was open, they didn't put things back. And I mean, there's stories after stories after stories of just how first gen folks operate, right? And we used to, the second geners used to say every week, these are various churches, we would say, can we have just a projection on the screen that says, why are you like this? Because we're very Americanized, the second geners and structure and systems and respect of space and property is like an ingrained thing in our, you know, our mentality. Another funny story: I had a friend. um, She was at church listening to the adult service, and the pastor, the senior pastor, was giving this lesson on a sermon illustration, and he told the congregants, he said, "You know, like everyone, our." Young people do not think the way we think. And he gave a story about how he took his daughter on an errand run and they went to go get a newspaper. And in Koreatown, you pay the 50 cents, I think it's a dollar now, but you pay the 50 cents, you open the machine, you take one newspaper out, and then you close the machine. That's not how Korean people do it, right? They put the 50 cents in, they open the machine, they take the entire stack out. And then they close the see So if you are not at at the newspaper stand right when the papers get dropped, you're you're dang out of luck. So now you have to go to a restaurant or the barbershop or like, you know somewhere to like ask them, "Hey, do you have today's newspaper?" Because somebody took all of it. So he's giving this example, and then he said his daughter, his second gen American born daughter, said to him, appa, dad." That's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to put 50 cents in and take one newspaper out. And he says, she reprimanded me. So you need to know when you go take newspapers, this was the punchline of the lesson. He said, when you go to get newspapers, don't take your second gen child with you because they don't understand how it's supposed to be. And my friend came back from this. She was like, I was so disturbed. She's like, I don't even remember what the rest of the sermon was about. She's like, What the heck? And as I was reading the Still Life with Rice book, the, the survival mentality of, you know, our people, I mean, they were starving. There was no food. And then I started remembering the stories that my mom was telling me how, I mean, my mom grew up wealthy, but my dad did not of, you know, they don't have toilet paper, they would use newspapers, you know, they would, it it was all so within the span of, I remember when I was eight, my mom going to Korea and then being shocked at how different it had already gotten modernized. And then 10 years later, she went again, another shock of just modernity happening, you know, modernization and industrialization happening in Korea. That was not the country that they grew up in these first jenners were very like, very much poor, grab what you can, stuff it in, like carry, you take all that you can carry, you know, and like leave. And so, and we all joke, I mean, Kathy Kang, we all joke about it, right? Like how we, I'm a napkin hoarder because it's like, you always can use more napkins. And my husband who's white does not understand why, paper towels are always laying around, stacked up. And he's like, are these dirty? Are these not? What's happening here? And he'll just like throw them out. And I'll be like, why did you throw my stack of paper towels? out?" He's like, why is it sitting on the kitchen counter? I don't understand. Is it like dirty? I was like, well, it was just water and I was going to reuse it (laughs) for this thing because my mom, even in her wealthiness, still grew up learning how to be very frugal. And so, like reading the story, you know, even if it was fictional to a certain extent, it wasn't an uh, it wasn't a biography of her grandmother necessarily. It was an enhanced novel. Um, Helped me get into the mindset of what poverty looked like and why our adults operated the way that they operated, and it increases empathy, which meant okay, now if I need to problem solve this conflict it's not why the hell are you like this it's okay i understand where this is coming from let's try to figure out you know that it's okay um and even my mom now like i it's taken 15 years for her to get rid of her hoarding mentality and it's still there but she is now in the mode of like should i throw this out i mean she's asking the question should i throw this out not why are you throwing this out I could give this to somebody or use it for some random thing over here. That's not what the purpose of this item was. Um, and so helping, you know, my mom because I don't embarrass her or shame her that she's so disgusting for being a hoarder. Um, more of like, okay, mom, but we haven't used this in 15 years and it's just taking space. So I think it's time to let it go and be more in an empathetic space of like, it's gonna be okay, mom. (laughs) Like, we can let this go. And, you know, so I think that the first step again is to just listen to people's stories, sit at the feet of our elders, ask them questions, you know, and, and just find out what the journey was, how we got here, what they fought for, Why they pressure us to get the good grades, why they don't want us to waste time, you know, with frivolities, why they want us to work hard, and why they spend 15, 20 hours working and providing for us you know, we think it's it's horrible because we don't have time with our parents. And all we want to do is go hang out with our parents and, you know, hear that they love us. Um, but to understand their story so that when they say, like, are you hungry? Did you eat? It's not annoying, but rather, okay, first of all, that's the only way they've learned how to express love. And so how can I go up to my mom when she asks me that and hug her and say, I love you too, mom, and like open a way for that or not scoff when she calls me because, you know, I have this funny story I share with young kids all the time. my mom is very much an interactive mom, too much where it's like, you know, we have Asian parents are very, we could, negatively, we could look at it as helicoptering or smothering, right? Or in some way, shape or form like that. And again, the mindset of our parents in which their grandparents' children staying alive was not a common thing. It wasn't a, an expected. They had lots of kids because You know, this was like a 50-50 chance that their kid was gonna stay alive. And that trauma and survival mentality passes on. And so the vital the importance of family and checking up on your kids and making sure they're fed so that they don't die of starvation, this is all part of their history. So my mother is praying for me as I go on a retreat and I tell her every retreat. I have two retreats as a youth pastor, a summer retreat and a winter retreat. And I tell her every time, mom this is when I'm going to come down the mountain. I'm going to be very busy. I will call you when I put the kids on the bus or when they all take off and go home. I served as a youth pastor, junior high and high school for 14 years. Never once did she not call me. Every time, twice a year, no, I could bet my life on it. She calls right in the highest peak of chaos when parents are coming and kids are trying to figure out rides and did they get their suitcase and like all of it and every year i get the phone and i answer it and i'm like mom why are you at <laughs> this time and for me to empathize in her space is because she's been praying for the retreat she's been praying you know that everything is healthy that i came down from the mountain safely but the bus didn't crash like, like all the things that are illogical. They are illogical, but how can I create a space of empathy to know it's from this space of love and uh, over concern and like letting her know, and now we have texting, so it's a little bit easier, you know, and all these things, but letting them know, you know, and now, so now my husband and I, we have a tactic where, um, a strategy where if we're coming down the mountain, although sometimes it's still backfires because she's older now and she forgets. So if we're supposed to come down the mountain at like 10 a.m., I tell her, oh, mom, I'm coming down the mountain at four (laughs) so I can give myself a lot of leeway. But I know she knows that I'm coming back down at that time. Right. Um, And it's not to avoid and it's not to be like eye rolling, but it's like, okay, how can I how can I have boundaries and do this um, while at the same time honoring the love that she has for me, even if it feels sometimes smothering at times. Um, and, and like, what does it look like even now as my mom and I, you know, we had a lot of family chaos trying to intercede for my dad with his drug abuse and she was having a very difficult time. So I've had to utilize methods to, now that I fully understand my mom and fully understand spaces of her insecurity and her lack of love she got because in her marriage it was so unhappy and she then transferred that to me and so like how can I help her start to love herself how can I help her find her independence and autonomy outside of me and outside of family and having conversations of reassuring her how much I love her um so one time we had a conversation we came out we were at Tiffany's just a window shop and we've had exercises where I told her she can't have, say passive aggressive jabs at me. And we were there and she let la- she liked the little heart um, jewelry that they have, I forget what it's called now. Um, and I she said, oh, I like this one, it's really cute. And it had a little diamond in it. And then I said, yeah, mom, you really like this line. You like the little cute design. And she did her passive aggressive jab and she says, oh, it's because you never show me enough love. <sighs> I had to take a breathing moment and I just had to pause. I was like, okay. And I had to dig in to my empathetic mindset and say, okay, how do I name this? That what she did was wrong, but do it lovingly, but firmly. And so we were coming out of the store and we were going to the parking garage and I stopped and I said, mom, do you really believe that I don't love you? I just asked her that and I, and she stopped and she was like, it was a joke. I said, but I'm asking you genuinely, do you really believe that I don't love you? And she said, no, of course not. I said, okay, no, really? Do you in any, like, I want to know, is there, because I want to know where I haven't been able to show you love. I said, do you really believe that I don't love you? I said it very firmly and very seriously. She's like, of course I know that you love me. And she got serious. And I said, okay, because when you say that mom, it's very hurtful and it really, it pains me. Um, and so if you don't feel like I'm showing you love, I think we need to talk about it because I want to be able to show you that I do love you. So let's talk about that. But that joke was very hurtful, mom. And so I said, can you apologize for that joke, please? And she was like, I'm sorry, it was a joke. And she said it like that. But I got my mom to apologize, which is craziness, like in Asian parents, right? (laughs) And you know, it was an exercise for my mom to learn how to better communicate. Um, And so I've gotten her to the point now where she calls me, if I said something short tempered to her that I didn't intend, or I didn't even know that I did that, she will call me up an hour later and say, hey, the way that you talked to me just now, like, you know, in our previous conversation, mom's feeling very hurt by that. And I have gotten my mom to be able to express herself this first gen woman to be able to express herself like that. Because I think at the end of it, as I continue to hear stories and try to figure out the whys and ask the questions, okay, this is why they're like this. This is why their mode of operation is like this. It's helped me to then be able to go first because somebody has to go first, and our parents aren't gonna go first because they don't have the tools to go first. They didn't grow up with Oprah, they didn't grow up with these books, they didn't grow up with psychological terminologies and understanding and awareness. So as we get educated, as we have books, even if they're predominantly white counselors, but we still have the books, we could take some of those methods and then contextualize it to be in a mode you know, of operating and asking questions and having dialogue with our parents. So my friend, he used to hate his mom. And I started asking questions about his parents' dynamic. And I said, do you think that your mom is lonely because your dad keeps going to missions and business on into China? And do you think that's why your mom is calling you and trying to shares, you know, conversation with you. She's bad at it, granted, okay, because she keeps nagging at you, but do you think that's why? And he paused, he was like, I never thought of it like that. And I said, I wonder if maybe when your dad leaves, before she has time to call you, maybe you call her a couple of hours after your dad leaves and say, hey, mom, how are you doing? How's it like being alone? Do you have enough food? You know, did you eat today? just checking in on his mom. And he said he did it for the first time. This, it it like really dynamically changed the relationship he had with his mom, even though he still was like, she's still annoying, of course. But, and then he said his mom kept trying to turn the conversation around like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? And he said, no, no, mom, I called you. How are you doing? Let's talk about you. And she was so uncomfortable in the beginning, but she then started to say, I, yeah, I'm a little lonely. I'm bored. So I'm trying to do piano. And she started talking about herself. And so now he's trying to, you know, because she would do things that were very passive aggressive expressions because she didn't have the tools to say, Hey, I'm lonely. Your dad just left. Do you want to come over? Should we go watch a movie? Um, and I think it's just things like that of like, how do we want our friends to re- interact with us and how can we interact the same way that our, to our parents? So I think it's like, if you don't, if we don't know stories of why our parents are operating that way or, or our friends or, you know, our spouses, then it becomes difficult to, figure out how to talk to them. It becomes difficult to empathize. It becomes difficult then for us to understand why there's conflict. Why our parent makes us feel like absolute and utter shit with their passive aggressive jam- jabs. Like, uh, you don't really love mom. You would have gotten me a gift you're like all right woman I'll show you how much I don't love you I won't even call you next year on your birthday you know like it just creates this cycle of anger but if we stop for a moment we're like okay you know dad kind of sucks at giving mom gifts so she's gift giving is her love language maybe I figure out what she really likes and I can figure out how to get her a good gift next year It's understanding the
0: why, right? Wow. Uh, You're a great storyteller. And thank you for sharing those poignant stories, because I think that gives people a lifeline to know what it feels like. And uh, we've heard some feedback that as people watch these episodes, and sometimes even with the person that they're having a difficulty breaking that ice and starting that conversation, that watching this story together begins to open that up so thank you so much i'm going to leave the story as it is and as uh and not add too much commentary but uh one of our colleagues daniel lee says it so well that being asian american is traumatic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's different for it's traumatic in both generations and i hope to bring him on to erasing shame tomorrow and because your story is so uh visual and relatable for our audience what's a good way for our um, listeners and viewers to reach out to you
1: i am going out on my own and starting my own website um, and hoping to create resources both for young people and leaders um you know both asian american and for all the folks who don't get reached by the church um and beyond that so my website is com. You can follow me initially right now on all things Irene M, like Michelle Cho, C-H-O. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, those are all Irene M. Cho. And yeah, hopefully within the year, I'll be able to start um, having resources available so that we can have better conversations with one another um, and learn from one another and create more thriving, healthier, holistic communities with each other
0: wonderful wonderful thank you so much irene and we'll add a link to all of those things in the show notes and congratulations on getting your book published soon thank you, thank you. and thank you our viewers and listeners for being with us on this episode of erasing shame we'd love to have your feedback you can comment to us anonymously at erasingshame.com and leave us a voicemail or a message or ping us on any of our channels on youtube and facebook we'll see you next week Thank you for being a part of Erasing Shame. Please rate and review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, and like on Facebook. Share with your friends and followers. Together, we are Erasing Shame, one story at a time. Get all the details at ErasingShame.com.